You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Making everyone proud. Welcome to The Game Changers. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. This podcast is about leading highly principled people to their full potential because true freedom is economic freedom. We are with the one and only Jason Jennings. So good to be with you today, Jason. Hi, Dale. Uh, great to be with you again. So our topic, making everyone proud. You say it's the leader's responsibility to make everyone proud. Explain that. How does it happen? Well, let me tell you why this is uh, first and foremost on my mind. Uh, so I'm, I'm at work on my next book, uh, which will be coming out in uh, January of next year. The manuscript goes in at the end of May. And uh, so as I'm working on a book... I am calling through all of this research that myself and my team have come up with. And I came across a story uh, a couple of days ago, and I couldn't help but pause and think about it. And if you've ever gotten a tune in your head and you couldn't let it go, I thought about this story a lot the other day. And I I wanted to tell the story because I, I, I think there's a real lesson uh, for leaders and entrepreneurs and uh, uh, heads of startups and, and, and managers in this story. Uh, there's, there's a guy by the name of Fred Eppinger. And uh, Fred Eppinger had been in the consulting business for a number of years for one of the big consulting firms. And his specialty was working with insurance companies. Well, out of the blue, uh, he gets a call to be interviewed as the president and CEO of Hanover Insurance. So he eventually accepts the job, and when he goes in, he discovers all kinds of problems. It's not that he didn't know they were troubled when he accepted the assignment, uh, but every day there were just more and more problems. Uh, the company had shrunk in size uh, 10 of the previous 11 years, uh, they'd ventured into businesses where they had absolutely no expertise. They had given up uh, financial support for the community that they were based in. Uh, they'd kind of devolved into a, a big, fat bureaucracy. And then one day he learned that they had a potential $2 billion liability on their hands that was actually a ticking time bomb. But, you know, as bad as these things were, and these were business problems, but these were problems he'd seen and fixed before as the leading troubleshooter for McKinsey Consultants. So he was prepared, but within a month of taking over, he learned what was really wrong. And as he tells the story, he says, one of the associates of the company told him that she was at a Christmas party for her husband's company, and someone asked her where she worked. And she wouldn't say Hanover Insurance because it was embarrassing to be seen as working there, she told him. And he says that as he continued to interview employees, the word embarrassed came up a lot. So he knew immediately what the big problem was. He could fix the big problems, but he knew that he would never fix the company if people were embarrassed to be working there. So what he did is he made some changes to the playbook. He promised everyone that they would, he, he just got in front of everybody and said, you will never, never, never be embarrassed again. 
He showed them the plan. He talked about the journey. And even though there were fragile finances, he immediately announced they were doubling their charitable donations into the community and explained how they were going to make a difference. Now, the amazing thing is Fred Eppinger, uh, in one of the greatest risings since Lazarus, has turned this company into one of the most successful insurance companies in the United States. I mean, their numbers are absolutely incredible. So what was really wrong at the company weren't the problems, weren't the fact that they were in businesses they shouldn't be in, weren't the bureaucracy, weren't that potential $2 billion liability like a ticking time bomb. It was really that people were not proud. And so what I started thinking about the other day as I was writing the story in the manuscript is do most people pause to think that one of their real jobs is to make everyone really, really proud. And then I started thinking of another story. Can I tell you one more? Please, please. Okay. All right. So growing up in the 1960s and 1970s, back in the uh, Midwestern part of the country, I'm not sure, Dale, you're probably a little too young, uh, to have heard of uh, drum and bugle corps. But almost every city in America's Midwest, and in California too, uh, had fielded uh, a drum and bugle corps. And these were groups of young people, between 70 and 150 people, who played brass instruments, beat the drums, and they had the color guard with the flags. And these kids would labor very, very hard, all winter long in high school gymnasiums, all summer long during sweltering summer heat, practicing twice a day, just like the football team. And these were the people who would march in parades, play at festivals, and then there were competitions. So very near the little town that I grew up in, in in Michigan, uh, a couple of guys from the Lions Club got together and said, we need to have one of these drum and bugle corps things too. And so they founded something called the Blue Notes Drum and Bugle Corps. They had no instruments, they had no uniforms, and they had absolutely no money. But somehow with borrowed uniforms, or I'm sorry, borrowed instruments and seamstresses in the community jumping in, uh, the Blue Notes were in business. And it was amazing to watch them. Uh, They would begin winning regional tournaments, and then they began winning state tournaments, and then they were crowned the national champion. But that's not what this story has anything to do about. By the end of the 1970s and the early 1980s, uh, drum and bugle corps had become passe. Uh, they were kind of irrelevant. Young people didn't want to do any, have anything to do with them anymore. And, and they all started going away, uh, including the Blue Notes uh, that closed down after having been national champions. So presumably, end of story. Well, about seven or eight years ago, uh, on a 4th of July, from California, I called my mother uh, to see how she, she and my father were doing. And they had just been at the 4th of July parade. And my mother's fiercely proud of her small little hometown in Michigan. And I said, well, tell me about the parade. And she said, oh, we had all these floats. And I mean, we had this and we had that. And I said, well, what about the music? And she said, well, we had four high school bands. We had the city band and we had the Blue Notes. And I said, well, I thought they went out of business 20 years ago. I said, did, did they try to start it up again? She said, no. 
She said, this is the original Blue Notes. And I said, well, geez, they must be very, very old. She said, they're older than the hills, for God's sake. And she said, they've had hip replacements, knee replacements, valves replaced, and some of them are so out of shape, I'm not even sure how they can march. But she said, they are good, and they play every weekend at festivals and parades, the original people. Well, I found this rather fascinating. So over the last couple of years, I've had an opportunity to see them perform a few times. And I've had an opportunity to talk to them. And I was wondering why they got back together again. And the story I learned was this. A number of years ago, a couple of them were talking at a bar and said, you know, we should have a reunion uh, because the town is going to have its centennial. Wouldn't it be great to get together one time and play for the centennial? And so they ran this little newspaper ad. If there are any alumni of the Blue Notes who would like to get together and play for the centennial, please show up for this meeting at 730 on Thursday night at the C.L. Phelps Intermediate School or whatever it was. And they were astounded by the number of people that showed up. Astounded. I mean, everybody from the original Blue Notes wanted to play. And they have been playing ever since. But now consider this, Dale. Uh, These are judges. uh, These are teachers. These are dentists. These are housewives. uh, These are insurance people. Uh, These are people who have gone on to have families. They've gone on to have accomplishments in their life. And I've always been fascinated as to why they came back to play in this drum and bugle corps. And in talking to them, it's very easy to understand why. Because despite whatever they achieved in their life, there was no point in their life that they felt as good, that they felt as proud as when they were together winning championships, being acknowledged, and doing good. And I think about that story a lot because we all want to be proud. We all want to be part of something doing good, of something doing good works. And if the leader, the entrepreneur, will just tap into that, they'll be tapping into one of the most powerful motivating forces to people. And so Fred Eppinger of Hanover Insurance, who heard from an employee, I didn't tell somebody where I worked because I was embarrassed. He made the promise that you will never, never be embarrassed again. We're going to do good work here. And to those beyond middle-aged members of the Blue Notes Drum and Bugle Corps who are together every week playing somewhere, they're playing because of their desire to make a contribution and to be proud of what they do. And as leaders, sometimes it's important that we just pause to reflect on that. I'm thinking back to a couple of specific podcast. Number one, you said in the past, everyone remembers being on a winning team. Being on a winning team is memorable. And they love that memory. And that goes into being proud. The other thing I think about when you when you talk about Fred and his story, he if he would have walked in and looked at the exterior, so to speak, proverbially speaking, and just said, here's what we've got to do, and said, I I know what to do. I'm an expert. 
and I've been I've been the I've been the person who has come in and fixed these before, so I can just forge ahead. And he hadn't talked to the people about that. He would have never been able to fix the problem. Well, in fact, let me tell you another Fred Eppinger story. It was his first day as CEO, and he wanted to get there very early. And so we got to the building before 7 o'clock, and it was locked. Uh, he, he didn't have keys yet. So the front door was locked. The side doors were locked. So he finally goes back to the back of the building, and there's a kitchen door for the cafeteria that's open. And so he walks in, and there's a woman in the kitchen, and uh, he said, do you think I could get a cup of coffee? And she said, well, who in the hell are you? And he said, well, I'm, I'm the new CEO. Well, she almost dropped the pot that she was holding. And she said, geez, we've uh, never seen a CEO in the kitchen before or in the cafeteria before. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you give me a cup of coffee? Let's sit down and talk. And he sat and talked to this woman for an hour. And truly, the previous leadership had not only never been in the kitchen, they'd never been in the cafeteria. They had a private executive dining room on the top floor of the building. And so they had nothing to do with the people. And that, and that really tells you a lot about this wonderful man, Fred Eppinger, and his style. Oh, great stories. Thanks for the game-changing approach, Jason Jennings. And we would love to hear from you, the podcast listener. You're welcome to ask Jason a question. Just pop up that email editor and uh, fire off an email to us. We are at questions at jason-jennings.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be answering questions on an upcoming podcast. Also, if you'd go in and rate us on iTunes, you can rate and leave a review on iTunes. That helps more people learn about this podcast. We have uh, thousands of downloads already. We'd love to have thousands more, and we could use your help in getting there. So, Jason, once again, thanks so much for us. Any parting thoughts? Uh, Dale, it's just, uh, I, I say this all the time, but it's just fun to get together with you once a week and uh, have a cup of coffee and, and, and talk. I, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy uh, hearing from the listeners. And I, again, I would just repeat what you said. Let other people know. When you listen to a podcast uh, that speaks to you, that, that provides something helpful to you, that is a thought starter for you, please let other people know. Pass it on. Absolutely. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.